I am uh, I'm constantly surprised, pleasantly surprised. Y'all like my fishing rods? I like my fishing rods. Constantly but pleasantly surprised by the people that God has brought into Elevation Church with it being as young and as small of a church as it is. We have people here who are phenomenal musicians. We have people here who are great teachers. There are pastors sitting in the seats among you. Some of you are nervous about that all of a sudden. You're like, who am I sitting next to? Did they hear me singing? Did they have musical talent? Did they hear me? Oh my gosh, did they see how I took the elements of their path? doesn't matter. But I'm just thrilled to see that God has brought together this, this church, this body of Christ, this group of people. And we're less than 100 people, just a little less than 100 people when everybody's here right now. But we have everything that we need and then some. I just think it's a really, really cool thing. Sandy, thank you this morning for sharing your gift with us. Sandy's a great teacher, a gifted teacher. I just discovered that not very long ago. So, hey, this morning we're continuing, as Jim said, in a series that we began uh, just last week, a teaching series called Go Fish, and it's a series about evangelism. It's a whole teaching series taken really from one Bible verse. And if it seems like it might be a bit of a stretch to take a whole teaching series, weeks of, of teaching, out of one verse, one phrase, then let's check out Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. The verse that spawned this series, the verse that, that started the whole thing. Jesus is walking by the water and he sees out on the lake these fishermen doing their thing. They're out there fishing and Jesus says to them, come and follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. That's the verse. That's the verse that we're going to teach for weeks out of that one verse. Because in that one verse, in that one phrase, in that one invitation to come and follow me, there is so much packed in there. Because that verse is all about evangelism. And when Jesus invited those fishermen to come and follow him so he could make them fishers of men, he commissioned the first Christian evangelists. And the church, the Christian church, has grown for 2,000 years on the back of evangelism. Evangelism simply means sharing the good news with somebody else. And Jim said a little while ago that obviously some people took it seriously. You know, I should order more of those bobber cakes those of you who were here last week, because apparently they work. I don't know if they were sweet, they were delicious, and, and people invited people. They were just a reminder to, hey, go out and share the good news. We've got great news to share. And, and so I guess we need to order more of those so you'll share the good news a lot more because that was awesome. I love seeing new faces here. I love to uh, meet people and see that the church is continuing to grow as the church goes out and does what Jesus told us to do and fish for men. So last week, last week we started this series exploring everything that's packed into Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, and we pulled four little fishing tips out of last week. Here's what those four fishing tips were. Number one, if you're going fishing, you need to be licensed. If you're going to go fish, you better have a fishing license. I showed you last week my fishing license issued by the state of Texas. They have the authority to license me to fish in Texas waters because they have the authority over all of the game and, and game fish in the state. And so I have my Texas fishing license. You also, I also have a fishers of men fishing license. 
if you're a follower of Christ. When he gave this invitation to those fishermen, that invitation extends to you. We know this because Jesus' last words were, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Go fish for men. And so we're all licensed to fish. The second thing that we found out last week about fishermen, our second fishing tip, is that fishermen are planners, strategic planners. If I don't plan my fishing day, then I will waste a lot of time on the water. I don't want to waste time on the water. I want to maximize my fish catching potential. So when I hit the water, I have a plan. When I go out into my community to share the word of God, I have a plan. Part of my plan is knowing who I'm fishing for. And we're fishing for those who don't know Jesus. We're trying to fish for those who don't yet know Jesus. It's easy to fish in the pond of the already convinced, right? You go to the other church and invite people from that church into your church. That's not what we're looking for. We're trying to find people who are far from God, who don't know Him. And we're trying to invite them to come in and experience what we've all experienced. We're sharing the good news. The third fishing fact or pointer that we took last week is that there are plenty of fish. There's plenty of fish out there. So when I'm fishing for those who don't yet know Jesus, I know that the fishing is good. And if I'm not catching, if I'm not finding the right fish, that's okay. Just keep fishing because there's still far more people in this world who don't know Jesus than there are people who do know Jesus. So if you get out there and you're sharing, if you went out this last week and you shared the good news, you told people your story, what Jesus has done in your life, you invited them to church this morning and they didn't come, it's okay. Fish get off the line all the time. Fish break the line. Sometimes they don't bite. Sometimes you get them all the way to the boat, they come all the way to the church and then they just get away. It's okay, it's fine. We're not trying to capture people, we're trying to share the good news and let them make a decision on their own. But there's plenty of fish, just keep on fishing. The fourth fishing tip we picked up last week is that you've got to fish where the fish are. Now that may seem like a big duh factor, right? I mean, seriously, if you're going to catch fish, you got to fish where the fish are. But inside of that fishing principle, there's a whole lot of stuff. Last week, we unpacked just one little part of it. We said it's important to know when to keep fishing in an area and when to leave it. You can leave an area with fish and go fish in more productive waters and be better off. Sometimes the fish in one area, even though they're there, they just aren't receptive yet. They're not ready to hear the good news of Jesus. They're just not ready to hear. So that's cool. Leave that spot and go fish somewhere else. Some great fishing tips we picked up last week. We're going to continue to expand on that principle for this week. That that fish where the fish are. We're going to keep expanding on that one today. And today we're going to talk about attracting fish. And we're going to talk about getting the fish to come to you. Because isn't it easier, wouldn't you imagine anyway, those of you who maybe are not fishermen, that it is easier to catch a fish when you can get the fish to come to you instead of having to put fuel in your boat and spend time running around all over the lake trying to find where the fish are, where the fish are active, where the fish are receptive. If you can just get the fish to come to you. Who watched Shark Week this week? Right? Y'all don't lie now. That's like the highest rated show in the history of ever. Shark Week. I watched more TV this last week than any human being should be allowed to watch. I won't lie. I recorded some of it too. Because I can watch it again and again. Now the good thing about the Discovery Channel is you can watch it again and again and again anyway without recording it. But I recorded it. I watched Shark Week. Those of you who watch Shark Week, what do they do? These researchers, they show up somewhere and they want to study sharks. What's the first thing they do? Chum. 
They put chum in the water, ground up fish, fish blood, nasty stuff, stinky, smelly, but the fish dig it, man. The sharks love it. And what happens when they chum the water? The sharks come to them. That's the principle that we're talking about today. How do we become attractive to the fish that we are trying to catch? Because it's easier to catch them when you can bring them to you. Evangelism, fishing for lost souls. How do we bring lost souls, people far from God, into close proximity to us, the church? Christians, followers of Jesus, how do we get them to come to us and ask us questions and be interested in what we're doing and what we have that they don't? How do we do that? How do we attract the fish? Check out what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, because Paul begins to explain this concept of attracting the fish. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Outsiders are those outside of the church or the, the unsaved. We call them lost people. We call them unchurched. We call them non-Christians. I called them who I was for the first 21 years of my life. So it's not like I'm calling you a bad name. I was one. And a lot of you sitting here this morning might be one. And that's cool. It's okay. We're just trying to help you see what we've got, and see if it's something that you think you would like as well. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that so, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The Apostle Paul is teaching a lot of things here. He's saying some, some really strategic things to the church. I'm going to try to paraphrase him, and it will be an incomplete idea when I paraphrase, but I think what the Apostle Paul is driving at here is be attractive. Be attractive. So what attracts fish? What attracts fish? When I hit Lake Fork and I go fishing with my friend Jerry, my guide that you guys met on video last week, we want to go to the places where the fish are, and ideally when we get there, we'd like to bring fish into us. Check out a place that we found on Lake Fork the last time that we were out So we're fishing around this boathouse because this boathouse has been made very attractive to the fish. If you can see all underneath and around it, uh, the person who owns this place has put out all of this brush and uh, structure. There's trees, uh, hanging old Christmas trees hanging underneath the boathouse and off the dock. And uh, there's all kinds of these stumps that are uh, all around here that are just naturally occurring trees in the lake that have rotted off and fallen. And this is just a dynamic place for a big bass to hang out because it's got everything that a fish needs to thrive and survive. Jerry, you're probably better at this than I am. Just, you mind explaining real quick, what makes this such a great fishing hole? Uh, it's a good thing, like you said, Todd, uh, what this gentleman has done is he's taken some of the trees that have been on the bank and he's made basically fish attractants. 
even away from the house, which is providing shade, uh, cover for the fish, natural you know, darkness where it's a dark ambush point. But then also, like you said, there's, there's normal timber that's here. But what he's done is created something a little different. That way it stands out from just the regular trees that are standing here. And this gentleman, he's also got a big bucket. And when we were here earlier, he was telling us how he'll actually feed these fish. You know, he'll, he'll throw out food for them to come and it draws all kinds of fish, not just even the bass, but it brings in the bluegill, uh, the shad, the crappie, catfish, bass, they all interreact. So, you know, it's just not one species that's pulling up. He's feeding every, everybody. Uh, and so then you've got these flats, uh, attractive brush to kind of hold them where they want to stay. And that way they're not necessarily just hitting the highway, coming out and going, but you know, they're coming to stay for a while. Uh, you know, because everything they have is right here. You've got structure to hide in, to stay in, you know, for cover, for, you know, protection. Uh, you got somebody that's feeding you constantly, you know, which even makes it better. I'm going to be a big fat fish if I'm living here because I ain't going anywhere. I'm going to hide right up underneath that dock right there in that house, be fed every day and only have to go two feet uh, <laughs> to get my food. So, you know, it's, it's just a great setup because you've got you've got natural stuff that's already brought the fish in this area and then he's just basically honed in on it making it a little bit different to say hey here's what's going to draw these fish from you know going on down to the back you know there's a couple other docks that are on this in this area but they don't have the structure and they haven't put in the extra time to make it draw and attract it to those fish so basically jerry what you're saying is he has made his house or this house an attractive house by providing everything the fish needs. They have protection here. They have community here with other fish, fish that are like them and fish that are different from them. And they get fed here. So that's what makes this an ideal house for fish. Man, I think that's awesome. When we think about the house as the church, the house has to be an attractive place. When we're fishing for people who don't know Jesus and sharing the gospel with them, we've got to have an attractive environment for those people to come and experience the community with the church, with you, God's people. And so Elevation Church, it's our mission, it's our goal to be an attractive place, to be an attractive house, to reach our community, to really be fishers of men. That boathouse is like, whoo, it gives me tingles looking at it. I want to go fishing right now. That boathouse is probably the best fish attracting place I have ever encountered. Jerry had never fished it before. He had fished in the cove where it is, but the water was down that time when we went, and he could see all of that cover, and he could see all the stuff, and we began to fish around it, and the crazy thing was, he and I both hooked up fish the first time we fished it that were so big they like just took line off of our reels as they swam into deeper water and then broke us off. And we're using 20-pound test line and 7-foot fishing rods, heavy action, big baits. I mean, I, caught, I hooked up with one that was no further than the second row. I set the hook on it, and the line just starts peeling off, and he goes off into the deep water and breaks me off. Great place to fish. I'm getting excited. But you know what else excites me? Even more than catching big bass is fishing for men. Seeing people make a decision for Christ because it changes not only their life today, 
but it changes their eternity. Changes their eternity. You see, Pastor Nick shared something with me sometime last year. It was a great phrase that I've ne- it's not been lost on me since. See, there's a reason why we fish for men. There's a reason why we evangelize and share the gospel with people. It's because they might die tonight. They might die tonight. Your friend, your family member, your coworker, that neighbor next door or across the street, they might die tonight. And if they die tonight and they don't know Jesus, then eternity is not good for them. Simply put, it's hell. So we share the gospel of Jesus with people. We fish for men because they might die tonight. We also fish because they might not. Because they might live tomorrow. And to live this life without Christ is to walk through, it's like walking through the most vivid, most beautiful scenery, the most incredible thing in the world, and be colorblind. Or sensory deprived, can't see, can't hear, can't smell, can't taste. You have no idea the amazing wonder, the, the, just the immense uh, um, miracle that all of it is. You're, you're empty on the inside, you're hurting, it's no good. And I remember the first 21 years of my life, specifically my teenage years and into college, that feeling of emptiness inside and all of the things I tried to put in to fill it. And nothing satisfied until I invited Jesus into my life. So we fish because people might die tonight. And we fish because they might live tomorrow. Either way, Jesus is the answer. It's awesome. So... You might have caught on the front end of that video the first part of what I want to talk about today about how Elevation Church needs to reach the community by or actually bring the community, the lost people, to us. I said, we've got to meet needs. So that video was titled Meeting a Need. We've got to meet people's needs. We've got to find out where their needs are, where their hurts are. We've got to see where they're deficient, where they're short, and just see if we can help meet that need. And the first way I think that we can help meet people's needs is by doing what the builder of that dock did. You make yourself different. You make yourself different. You're different in appearance and you're different in reality. There's something substantive beyond the appearance that is different about you. And here's the cool thing. Jesus is the difference maker. See, Jesus is what is different about me. 40-year-old Todd versus 20-year-old Todd. All the difference is Jesus. If I had not had Jesus in my life since then, I don't think I would be much different except that I'd be a little bit balder and a little bit fatter than I was when I was 20. And when I was 20, I was not a very nice person to be around. I was not enjoying life. I was a pretty miserable soul. But Jesus made a difference. Jesus is the difference maker in your life. He's the difference maker in my life. He is the difference maker in the church. He's the difference maker in Elevation Church. He is the difference maker in our community. And when we live different, when we let Jesus live through us and make the difference in our lives, all of a sudden, we're different. Before you were a Christian, those of you who are, did you ever know another Christian and you were like, What's different about them? Why are they always 
okay? Why do things not rock them the way they rock me? Why does a bad day not look like a bad day in their life? How come they're always like seemingly happy? It's actually joy, not happiness. But, but I didn't know that back then. I was like, hey, they're always happy no matter what. Did you ever know anybody like that? When I first started hearing the gospel, there were a couple of guys I worked with at Sam's Club and College Station that were Christians. And I was their boss, and I was a miserable soul. And I made their lives miserable just because I could. It was kind of fun. That's where I was. And when I heard the gospel and I started to wrestle with this Jesus character and started to really try to figure out the whole thing, I went to those guys to ask them what was different about them. I knew they were Christians. I knew they had what I didn't have. And I wanted to figure out if that was the thing that made them different. Lo and behold, it was. It was knowing Jesus. They were different because of Jesus. We've got to be different. We've got to do things that set us apart from the rest of the world. We've got to stand out from the crowd. Because people are looking for something different today. Here's the deal. You and I both know it. We all know it. The world has lots of places that offer us the same old, same old. Right? There's lots of entities and individuals. There's lots of outlets to provide us with the same old answers to the same old questions. The problem is those answers are temporary solutions to ongoing problems, ongoing challenges in our lives. They're temporary solutions. You may think they fit the bill. You may think they fill the gap, the void in your life. And, and you get going in that temporary solution and you discover it's empty. It doesn't do it for you. It didn't really solve the problem. It didn't fix you. It didn't help you. You had a short-term feel-good and then <laughs> crashed. The world is ready for people that are different. They're tired of looking at the same old solutions from the same old places, temporary solutions for ongoing problems. They're tired of receiving false hope. False hope. Man, there's a lot of places in the world we can go get false hope right now. A lot of places where you can get temporary solutions to ongoing problems. There's a lot of places where you can go and get lied to by somebody who wants to make you feel better about where you are, what you're going through, about whatever sin is in your life, whatever thing you have. You can get people who will lie to you and tell you it's okay. They'll apologize for it. They'll excuse it. They will rationalize it. And they will help you do all of those things as well. You can find all of these things, the lies, the temporary solutions to the ongoing problems. You can, you can find all of these things on television. You can find it on talk shows like crazy. You want to tune out of the talk shows, watch a little reality TV, look behind the scenes just a minute. I mean, like, just get past the surface and see what they're about. They really just want to make you feel better about where your life is because these people on reality TV are so screwed up, so crazy, so messed up. You feel great about your messed up life because your messed up life is like two or three degrees better than theirs or even 20, right? It's in politics. It's in schools. It's in business. It's in books. It's everywhere. Our culture is full of people and entities and organizations that will try to make you feel okay about not being okay. I mean, I chased alcohol and drugs and bad relationships. I chased money and things. I chased education. 
fell really short on that one. I chased lots of stuff trying to fill that void, trying to feel good. And everywhere I went, I received those same things, the, the fill you up, but only for a moment. They fell short in reality. So people are looking for something different. They're tired of being made to feel okay about not being okay. I, I saw something this week. I think it was probably watching Shark Week. I don't know. I have no idea how in the context of Shark Week it came up. But I saw this graphic on the bottom of the TV. You know, they put those little boxes now because we can't just watch the show. We've got to read stuff too because we're so used to doing Twitter and Facebook and television and something else all at the same time. So they put those little uh, text boxes up. And, I, and one of them said, 75% of Americans believe in life after death. Wow, 75% of Americans believe in life after death. I struggled with that idea for a moment. I thought, you know, I, that, that may be really true. But I wonder if that 75% who believes in life after death has any concept of how to achieve ongoing life, real life, or to achieve life before death. I think most of them are on some kind of journey, some kind of discovery process. Some of you might be in that discovery process. Maybe that's why you're sitting here today. See, it's found in a relationship with Jesus, but the world doesn't want to tell you that. They want to tell you it's okay to keep doing what you're doing. Feel good about yourself. It's all right. The church has got to be different to attract people, for them to understand that there is something different going on here, that this is a place where they can come, that you are a person that they can come to and hear the truth about their condition without apology, without candy-coating it, without trying to make them feel okay about their sin. They can hear that truth, but hear it in love, in a way that they can process it and understand it, and in a way that gives them the solution to the problem. Not the short-term, not the temporary solution, the ongoing, everlasting solution to the sin situation, the problem that we all have in our lives. People are ready for that. They're hungry for it. Pastor Nick, two weeks ago, was talking about how the church has never grown faster. The church has never been bigger than right now on a global basis. People are ready to receive what we're offering. They just don't know where to go to get it. If the church doesn't look different, if Christians don't look different than the rest of the culture, they don't come to us because we're just like every other entity or every other individual out there. They don't see that there's something here that is worthwhile. The church has to be different. It's got to be real. Christians, we've got to be real. We've got to be open and honest about our own sin and sinfulness. <laughs> you can't love a sinner in the midst of their sin if you can't tell them that you're just like them. The only difference between you and them is Jesus, the difference maker. When I'm open and honest about my past, there are people who don't come back here. That's okay. They don't want a pastor who's had the past I have. That's cool. They can go find a pastor that's squeaky clean. I'm good. I'm squeaky clean now. You're squeaky clean now if you're a follower of Christ. But you're a sinner, and Jesus loved you while you were still a sinner. And he saved you, and he's the difference maker. We've got to be real about our sin. Talk about it. Stop being holier than thou, high rolling, all we got it. You know, it's, man, I don't want to be around you. Dirty, filthy sinner, dirty, stay away. We've got to be real. Go get muddy and bloody down in the ditch with them. Talk about what's real in their life. Be open about our past, our life, what Jesus has done for us, in us, in spite of us. Be real, Christians. People are ready for some authenticity. Get past the fake, the false, 
can't pretend that we're perfect. We've got to invite the lost and the hurting and the confused and the hopeless into a safe place, into a safe relationship, first with you, before they can ever have that relationship with Jesus. Sometimes with the church, the entity, before they can have that relationship with Jesus. We've got to invite them into community. Invite them into community. That's our second thing today that we've got to do to be attractive to the people we're fishing for. We've got to offer them real, authentic community. And community is just doing life together. It's doing life together outside of the church, inside of the church. It's doing life together in just about every phase. It's sharing things in common. It's being open and honest and real. It's just hanging out and having fun. It's working together. It's playing together. It's pretty much doing life together. When Nick preached a couple of weeks ago, I know I keep referring to Nick, he preached a phenomenal message two weeks ago about the fivefold purpose of the church. He talked about community. He called it fellowship, but the two things pretty much interchange seamlessly. Community is part of the whole purpose of the church's existence in the first place. So we've got to provide community. We've got to teach people that this is a safe place to come and a safe relationship to be in. And we've got to provide that opportunity to do life together, shoulder to shoulder, face to face, heart to heart, real community, authentic community. Our, our church's stated purpose is to lead people, to know Jesus personally, to grow in faith through relationships, and to go share the love of God with others. Community flows through every phase of that. We do things on purpose to create community. We do things like um, ladies' nights, men's ministry events. We do things like Sunday morning worship gatherings. We have our student ministry on Thursday nights. We do all kinds of things. We're going to have some, I'm looking forward to kicking off small groups at Elevation Church. We, we've got to get to a certain point, certain size to be able to do it effectively. I'm looking forward to the moment that we kick off small groups that meet in homes during the week outside of the corporate worship gathering. We do a lot of things to create community because community, I believe, is our best opportunity to reach people in our area with the good news of Jesus. I believe offering community is our best opportunity to reach people because I think people in our area are starving for community, for authentic relationships, for doing life together. Because I grew up here. If you grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth, raise your hand. Maybe half, a little less, I think. That's pretty typical these days. It's hard to find somebody who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth when you're in Dallas-Fort Worth. Most people moved here from somewhere else. When I looked at our neighbors on our street, we have neighbors from Oklahoma, we have neighbors from Arkansas, we have neighbors from Chicago, we have neighbors from all over the place. Most of our street aren't people that grew up here in the Metroplex. Most of my neighbors didn't, didn't, aren't rooted here. They moved here. And when you move here, when you transplant from somewhere else, you don't know anybody. You don't have community. And then when you move here from somewhere else, or even if you grew up here, then you get a job and, and the average commute in Dallas-Fort Worth is like an hour each way. Like that's a real common commute around here to like live in Flower Mound and drive to downtown Dallas or southwest Fort Worth or something like that. You're an hour every morning, an hour every evening in your car by yourself. You can't build community in a car by yourself. Have you ever found that out? It's like really, really really hard to build community sitting there by yourself like you can listen to the radio please don't text and drive but i know a lot of you do 
You can talk on the phone, but you can't really build community with somebody sitting there in traffic. Like you can wave at the guy who's waving at you with that other wave. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can smile, wave, you can be, but you can't build community. You get home from your two-hour commute, one hour each way. You pull into your rear-entry garage, and you go into your 3,000-square-foot home, fully furnished, climate-controlled, with an amazing entertainment system. If you walk out in your backyard, you've got an eight-foot privacy fence, board on board, so nobody can see through. It's hard to build community like that, and that's what our community looks like. That's the lives a lot of us lead, and the lives that most of our neighbors lead, by the way. And so businesses today are marketing to people's need for community. Businesses are actually trying to meet the need. When Lifetime Fitness built in Flower Mound, my family went over there. We bought a family membership. We, we, got, we bought the hype. We don't own it anymore. But we bought it in the beginning. You know what their sales pitch was? This is where your family will do community. This is where your family will have community. We've got the gym. We've got the pool. We've got the indoor water park. We've got the outdoor water park. You've got a hair salon, a restaurant. We have meeting rooms. You can pretty much live your life right here. I hate it when I do that. You can live, community right there at the gym. At the gym. When we were ready to move Elevation Church into a bigger facility than our last one, when we were shopping around and we actually were looking at Studio B, we actually looked at the AMC Theaters in Highland Village. That was our first choice. I met with the manager over there because AMC Theaters uh, traditionally has been really good about leasing Sunday morning space for churches to meet in. Churches all around the country meet in theaters, movie theaters, all the time. I met with the manager over here. He said, man, I would love to do that, but I'd be losing money. Our most profitable two hours of the week are Sunday from 10 to noon. Yeah, we offer community here. Families can come together and pay um, I shouldn't even tell you all this. You won't be in church next Sunday. You'll be at the movies. They could come and pay matinee prices, and we're right here in the shops at Highland Village. There's restaurants. You can make like a day of it and have community. Outdoor shopping centers are the rage right now because people, towns, developers are trying to create community to meet our need for that, to, to, to meet that perceived, that felt need. Community is a big deal. What if the church was the epicenter of community? Imagine that. What if the church was the epicenter of community? Did you know that was the way that it was designed? That's the way that it's supposed to be? Again, referring back to what Nick was teaching us two weeks ago, going back to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, the fellowship of the believers, we find that's what community is. It's what's described here in the very earliest Christian church. Let's check out that verse, Acts 2, 42 to 47. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, giving to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord. Excuse me, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, those who were entering into a relationship with Jesus through the community 
The church is supposed to be the epicenter of community. And that's what real community looks like. That's what it's supposed to be. All of these things. Sunday morning worship, small groups, meeting together in the temple courts and from house to house. Eating together, going out, having fun, hanging out, meeting each other's needs. That's what the church is. And that is what Elevation Church strives to do. And right now we're doing it to the best of our capacity. As we continue to grow, we will continue to provide opportunities to build and experience community every step of the way. The third thing that made that dock such an attractive place for the fish, the third thing was food. They were getting fed. Now Jerry talked about in there how the owner of that boat dock had a big 55-gallon drum and a shovel. He had a hole cut in his dock, and he would literally shovel out a couple shovels of fish feed into the water every morning, every evening. He wasn't feeding the bass, by the way. The bass were our target species. That's what I was fishing for. He was feeding the bait fish, the minnows, the shad, the bluegill, crappie, things like that. They come in and eat that fish food. The bass made a little bit of it, but their primary target was the little fish that came in to eat the fish food. The big fish eat the little fish, right? And so they were having a blast. Those bass were like well-fed because that guy kept feeding the bait fish and the bass were so attracted to that they couldn't stand it. To attract people, we've got to feed their needs. You ever tried to live without food? I fasted for three days once, like completely fasted, nothing but water. Howdy. That was a struggle. Y'all might have noticed I'm kind of fond of food, right? I like to eat. None of us can live very long without food. Fish can't live without food. People can't live without food. Nobody can live very long without food. We've got to feed the need for food. We feed people's physical needs all the time. You feed your family's physical needs. The church, we feed the physical needs of the, the homeless and hungry people that live in Denton County. We gather uh, together every month. We go up to Denton. We do Breaking Bread Ministry where we feed 150 to 200 people uh, once a month. We do an awesome job of feeding their physical need. We also feed their spiritual need. We share the gospel while we're up there. And every Sunday, we gather here to feed, to get the food, the bread of life. The bread of life, the word of God. And I do my best to bring the word in a way that is attractive to you. Like a chef trying to prepare a five-star meal. I'm trying to prepare a message that will meet you where you are and looks good and sounds good and actually meets the need, feeds you. Sustenance, real bread of life. See, Jesus said, the bread and the water of life, they'll, they'll satisfy you like bread and water can't. Because when you eat physical food, you get hungry again. When you drink water, you get thirsty again. But Jesus said, when you have the bread of life, when you have the water of life, you'll never be hungry or thirsty again spiritually. Remember, he's the difference maker. That's the difference. It's getting fed the bread of life. And so I'm trying to feed the bread of life. Every Sunday when I'm here, the worship team is feeding you the bread of life. Every Sunday, leading you in worship. Ladies ministry, when y'all get together on Tuesday nights, and I know this Tuesday is one, you'll be getting the bread of life when the gentlemen get together and do things together. We will take part in the bread of We do things together for community, but also to meet our need to feed. To feed on God's word. And so, we do these things 
to feed the spiritually hungry so that they will be satisfied and never hunger or thirst again. We keep the food true. Season it a little bit to bring out the full flavor. Just use videos and examples and creative ways to present. But we keep the food true to what it is, fresh. Prepared just for you, with you in mind all along the way. We work hard to do it. If you ever worked in a restaurant, you know how much work goes on in the kitchen before that plate comes out to the table. It's very similar in the church. There's a lot of work all week long. And listen, I'm not crybabying about the work I do. I love what I do. I worked in sales before. I worked in restaurants before. I've done lots of stuff. I wouldn't trade back for anything in the world. There's not enough money to keep me from doing what God's called me to do here. So this isn't belly aching. I just want you to know there's a lot of work, Elevation Church, that we do. When I say we, I'm not talking about me and my wife or me and my wife and my kids. We do a lot of the work. I'm talking about we the church. And if you're not one of those we that's doing the work, ding, 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 this is a golden opportunity for you to become part of the we because you know there's work to do. We do a lot of work to present the gospel in an attractive way so that people can walk in these doors and be satisfied forever so they can come into a relationship with Jesus, be saved from their sin, forgiven for their failures, and walk in real life now and for eternity. See, the fruit of our labor is worth the work, and then some, and then some. Just like the man who built that dock, the fruit of his labor was worth it. He showed us that day that we were out there a 12-pound bass that he caught, not 30, 40 yards probably from his dock, right there in all of the stuff that he had built. That was the fruit of his labor. He'd caught a number of double-digit 10-pound or larger bass. That makes a fisherman real happy. The fruit of our work here, when somebody comes to know the Lord, enters into a relationship with Jesus, there's nothing in the world that makes me smile any bigger than that. There's nothing in the world that will make that person smile any bigger than that. We work hard to make the church different. We work hard to present opportunities for community, and we work hard to prepare and present the food. It is hard work. It does make for very good fishing when you do that kind of work. It makes for a very good church. It makes the waters around us, whether we're out in the community individually or whether we're together here corporately, it makes the waters very good fishing waters. But even when you're in the midst of great fishing waters, you cannot guarantee that you're going to get a bite. You can't guarantee it. Jerry and I fished that dock three times. We caught fish two of the three. The third time, we could not get a bite. It was so frustrating. Couldn't get a bite on this place that we knew had great fishing. So next week, that's what we're going to open up with. We're going to talk about when we are fishing for men, how to get a bite, how to get somebody to respond to the good news that we're offering. And then, after they respond, what do we do with them next? That's next week. This week, we're going to wrap up 
in just a moment by continuing to worship God in song and with our offering as we return back to him the financial blessings that he's given to us. Before we get to that point, though, I would ask that you'd bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we are grateful to be your church and to be gathered today in this building, celebrating who you are and what you have done and what you are doing. Lord, we love you because you first loved us, because you fished for us when we were so, so far from you. God, this morning, you've shared with us a message compelling us to be fishers of men. For the last two weeks, you've been teaching us how to fish and somewhat why to fish. Father, I pray that we would each be transformed by this teaching, that we would realize not only what we have in a relationship with you, but that it's of great worth, phenomenal worth, a price far too great was paid for me. But Father, also that we would transition that thought from what Jesus has done for me and what I get out of that to God realize that there are still far more people in this world who don't have that life, that fullness of life that Jesus promises. There are far more people who don't know you. And so while I'm thankful for my salvation, for the salvation of those who are sitting here this morning as followers of you, God, I am prayerful that you would make me very uncomfortable that I might get up and go fish, that you would put a burden on my heart for those who don't know you, that even when it's too hot or too cold or too windy or too rainy or too anything else, that I would remember to go fish, that I would want to go fish, that I would love to go and fish for men. Jesus, we are your hands and your feet, ready to follow you. Make us, indeed, fishers of men. And as we receive this morning the tithes and the offerings that your people are bringing into your church, into your storehouse, Father, I pray that you would multiply them and apply them to your ministry to making us an attractive church and an effective fishing church for your sake. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.